Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Okay, welcome back to the Deepen Podcast. We are in week seven of our Anything is Possible series which is crazy. We are getting close to the end, which also makes me sad. But we are talking about one of my favorite Bible encounters today, which I'm probably going to say that, I probably say that every week, actually, um, because you pick some great miracles. But we are talking today about when Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. Um, And so before we get there, this is the week coming off of Lazarus, coming out of the grave. And so could one of you just set the stage for us about what the city, how the city is feeling and what Jesus is feeling and anyone close to him. So the first 10 chapters of the Gospel of John go pretty quick. I mean, it covers, well, it starts from eternity past. So John chapter one covers forever. But then um, it really covers like three years of his earthly or two years of his earthly ministry and a half or so. And the last half of John, like get to about chapter 11, 12, and it's like it goes into slow-mo. Mm. It's just a week. All of this is like the just the final single-digit days of the life of Jesus. Mm. And so he makes the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. He goes to Bethany, calls Lazarus out of the grave, big miracle, small town, everybody's showing up. Lots of people are excited. I mean, who doesn't want to see somebody come out of the grave? That's what's happening. Jesus knows. He has set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows where this is going. Nobody else does. Mm. I, I think they think, mm. all right, this is it. He is the Messiah. He's going to kick out Rome. We're going to be in charge. Go us. Hence, when he enters into Jerusalem on the colt, they're going to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. Mm. And I think the us was the most important part of what they were saying because the same crowd that gathered that Sunday is going to gather on Friday and say, crucify him, kill him. So you mentioned in the book that there's also some hostility in the city from the religious people. Why are they feeling a little bit hostile towards Jesus? Because they see that they are going to lose their place of power. Mm. I mean, they literally say it, which is the root of all man-made religion. Like, I have... I have done the hard work. I have earned my name tag. I've earned the fancy hat. I've earned the, the throne. I have earned this, and you cannot take this away from me. So we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but the first line of this chapter says, unexpressed gratitude is pretty much useless. And I just love you just really <laughs> come right out of the gates with this <laughs> zinger of a statement. Unexpressed gratitude is pretty much useless. <laughs> uh, why? Tell us why. <laughs> it is a conversation that has been had in my home many <laughs> times. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> in all the directions, man. You know, I mean, it, it's such a bummer, isn't it? When somebody that you are so thankful for in your heart and they look at you and genuinely, they're not, they're not whining or complaining. They're genuinely expressing um do you even care of, for all the things that I do for you? And you're like, what? How could you say that? Because I feel, I have all the feels, I have all the correct feels about you. Well, then you realize it's, 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 it's the same thing as an, an unexpressed compliment. It is useless if you just think it mm. and you don't express it. So we're going we're gonna to hear about some serious expression of gratitude in this chapter. Um, but back to the people who weren't necessarily expressing their gratitude. Um, you talk about that some people saw and believed Jesus. These would be maybe the people who are yelling Hosanna. And then some saw and criticized. And it made me think about one thing we say around here, particularly on staff, but I think it relates to anyone, is to always approach things with the critical mind, not a critical heart. And I would love to know when, where you started saying that or when did that become a part of the language that we use and maybe the language people could start using as they approach different situations? Yeah, I would rather be effective than original. So uh, Doug Fields <laughs> said that. First time I ever heard that expression was from Doug Fields. Doug Fields um, mentored me for about 10 years. 
He's kind of the king of youth ministry. He lives out in Southern California. He was at Saddleback Church for 20 years or something, and and now he's at Mariner's Church working for another friend of mine, Eric Geiger. And and he, he was talking about in ministry, in an attempt to make everything better, which is a great attempt, right? Like everything you do, you do it as unto the Lord. God deserves your best. There's that kind of critical mind where you could look at things and you could say, Allie, here's how you could be better. Here's a way, a better way to phrase that or pay attention to this area of your responsibility. But you're coming from a place of, I'm here to partner with you to help this thing that we're trying to do for mm-hmm. the glory of God and the edification of his church to be better. That's critical mind. A critical heart is when you begin to assume motives. Mm. Like, I think you're just doing that because you want everybody to know your name mm. and you want to be on the podcast. Dude, that's a critical heart. Mm. Now you're like, Sitting in judgment over somebody else's like internal dialogues mm. and things like that, but you better be very careful because mm. that's going to happen here. They're going to be critical of Mary's worship at a motive level. Like, what is she doing? Mm. And I'm just telling you, man. You spend any time on any kind of social media or YouTube right now, and. Like if I just type in the name of a worship song because I want to listen to it, because typically what I do when I'm working is I like, I got this little YouTube mix. I don't know how it knows what I like now, but somehow it does. But man, you know, so you're like, whatever song. My new favorite song is Let It Be So by 1122. The Amen song. The Amen song. (laughs) Holy moly. But always on YouTube, man, about four slides down or whatever you call it, from then on, it's just criticism about that ministry. Wow about here's what they're not doing right, or here's what they didn't believe right, or here's why that's the wrong word. And and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's like an entire industry right now mm, in yeah. quote-unquote Christianity <clears throat> where it's just critical hearts towards one another. Mm. So be careful. In this event, there's a group of people worshiping Jesus, and there's a group of people criticizing the worship of Jesus. And I'm just telling you, man, when you get real critical of everybody else, you're playing on a team, but it does not seem to be Team Jesus. Yeah, it's good. Charles, you, I bet you have your own share of experiences with criticism. Um, how have you seen this play out with the approach of having a critical mind versus a critical heart? Um, well, with regards to my career, I, I stopped. It probably started... In about 2017, when the movie came out, I wrote mm. a I wrote a book. It was my seventh book called "The Mountain Between Us," and I had just come off hitting the New York Times list and um, with uh, "Where the River Ends." And then I wrote a manuscript. My eight, my publisher rejected it, and I eventually came back around and I ended up writing a book called "The Mountain Between Us," which they accepted and published. And uh, as soon as they published it, the Fox people or the 20th Century Fox folks, um, Peter Ternan's people, said, hey, let's make a movie out of this. So anyway, nine years later, a movie comes out based on my novel, loosely based. They they didn't stick to my story. So if you're listening to this <laughs> and you watch the movie and then you read my book and you think, why, Charles, did you do that? I didn't have anything to do with it. So please don't send me any angry email, which is the point of my comment yeah. anyway, because what happened is when we went into the pre, pre premiere or whatever preview here in Jacksonville, we rented out a big theater and did, as we're walking in around the country, the, the previews are getting out and people are in the theater uh clicking on the contact Charles button on my website, which I no longer have, and sending me their thoughts, which yeah. were not really kind. I had several people tell me I'd sold out to Satan. And I know my heart, and I know how we for years prayed about it, and I know what led to it, and I know the things that the Lord did. And so I know my side of what, but I also know my real heartache and pain in watching, having watched the movie and it's not that i'm not grateful for those folks and but they just didn't they just didn't do with my story what i had wanted and they mm-hmm. certainly didn't do what the readers wanted and yet all that was aimed at me because they thought i did it in truth i had nothing to do with it and that's mm-hmm. just i'm not a i'm not a i'm not a grisham i'm not a cussler i'm not on that level I'm not patterson so i can't dictate what they and i didn't know it at the time so that began my 
semi-public person sort of relationship with readers and trying to figure out, Lord, how do I respond? Because I can't respond to every single person. Number one, I'll go crazy because I'll be really mad. But there are thousands of them and there's one of me. And I like, So I can spend my time chasing criticism or I can find what is true in this and what is your heart for me and for these people. And so that was... Um, Somewhere in here, I also was reading, is it Francis Frangipani? I think that's, I'm sorry if I'm messing up his name. He's been a pastor up north, written a lot of books. As a, he's, he's really, he did some ministry through his work that really resonated in me. And he talks about having an unoffendable heart. And I realized I don't have one. And I need one. And he 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 challenged. I mean, he the Lord used him in this time and place to challenge me to not be offended, and and don't be offendable, but like just okay. Well, I'm sorry. And if it needs addressing, whatever. So, Christy and I figured out as best we know how how to navigate that in my world. So publicly, in my career. I don't do I don't do social media. Christy does it for me. It's not I don't have the energy or the bandwidth to put into it. I'm really good at writing books. I don't need to try and be a social media person, so she handles it for me. She also reads the comments. So she lets me know, "Hey, would you please respond to this person?" or so she ends up getting kind of the brunt of it. And I'll find her sometime looking at her phone with gritted teeth and she looks like she's about to be a spider monkey and jump on somebody and <laughs> So we pray through some of that or a lot of it. I don't get this right a lot. I want to bow up. Mm-hmm. I want to punch people in the teeth. I want to tell them what they don't know. I want to be right, which has nothing to do with the nature and the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm still very much in that process of being you know, sanctified to handle criticism. And I'm, I mean, I've, I've you know, Got some yesterday, whatever. And I'm, I just, ha- I sort of have to just turn around in my postures, like hand it to the Lord and say, okay, where there's truth in this, would you please reveal the truth? Mm-hmm. I want to be more like you, you know? So please let me know what in me needs to die. And then what if this is not of you? Let it be water off a duck's back. Because mm-hmm. I do not need to let it ru- ruin, ruin or rule my day. Mm, that's good. I think a message for everyone in 2023 is to have an unoffendable heart. It's a good, a good word. Yeah, man. Everybody's like, when you, I'm so offended. I'm like, you know, it's a choice, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a yeah. choice. You get to decide what you want to do with whatever, however words land on you. Right. You know, you get to decide what you want to do with that. It makes me think of checking your heart for whose glory you're seeking and whatever it is you're called to do. You say in this chapter, I don't preach because everyone always gets it. I preach out of obedience because I was called and then I leave the result to Jesus. Can we talk a little bit about what is that line between obedience and calling and then results? Well, I mean, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, he equates... um, Salvation and the effectiveness of the preaching of the gospel based on the condition of the soil, not on the farmer who scatters the Mm. seed. And so my job, I can't make anybody love anything I want them to love. I've been trying so long to get this church to love the Bulldogs, and they just about half do or so, maybe less. My job is just to preach the word and all the powers in the word. Um, and also another thing is in, in um, Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents, when the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy get to see the master, he doesn't say, well done, good and fruitful servant. Mm. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the fruitfulness is really up to him. And I, he just measures by a different standard than we do. Mm. So somehow, by God's grace, um, uh, you know, I get the incredible opportunity to pastor this unbelievable movement. Uh, listen, man, when we when I get to heaven and and stand before 
the master and when the guy that pastors the church and it's it's not very big and hadn't reached a lot of people or whatever, listen, I think we just get judged the same. And the question is not how fruitful were you because I think the Bible uses all this um, agricultural language because you cannot make fruit grow. Mm. You're, all you can do is do what the farmer does. You can plant it. You can water it. You can do those, you know, pull reeds, do those kind of hard work. But God is the one that produces the produce. That's great. So you're not, you know, you're not a mechanic. You don't manufacture change around here. Mm. You just got to be faithful to do the work that he's called you to do. Good. And that's what we get judged on. It's good. Anything you'd add? No, I just um, we are responsible for what we say, and we're responsible for how we say it. We're not responsible for what people do with it, mm. and so it's um, it is very much incumbent upon us. Let me just even make it. Let me. It's very much incumbent upon me to wrestle with the truth of what I'm saying and then try and figure out how to say it, how to say it in such a way that the heart can receive it. Because we are, one of the things I learned early in my career is that I'm bumping into either both in a healthy place and in a wounded place I'm communicating. And I'm bumping into people who are both healthy and wounded. And so I and we both have these little hard calloused places on our, on our hearts. And oftentimes the truth will bounce off those. And so it's, I think the Lord gifts us to somehow speak or write in such a way that circumnavigates those hard calloused places on the heart and allows the truth to pierce where it's still tender so that we, you know, love quickly, laugh deeply, forgive completely, all of those things that the truth would stir in us and have, have you know, its, its effect on us. I pray that that happens, and I have prayed that that happens. And I, I pray all the time. I've prayed for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Lord, let my books be road signs to Jerusalem. It's just a, I picked it up from Walker Percy. I picked it up from C.S. Lewis. That idea of pointing the way, that's like Psalm 45. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I've prayed that for a long time. I can't get them there. Mm-hmm. Paul says this multiple times. Because of him... We are in Christ Jesus. You, those three words, because of him, that means he did a thing. That doesn't absolve us of the pursuit of the gifting that the Lord has put in us, but it does take the onus off of us or feeling, respons- feeling responsible for the outcome. Mm-hmm. And it puts it on Jesus where it should be. And, and we just say, Lord, here's my gift. I'm playing my drum for you. Where I can play it better, help. Mm. Now, water the seeds you want watered and let them grow fruit. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. As a, as a pastor, you've got a, a bit of a different, a, a higher responsibility. Because um, you've got to feed and know and care for. And, and essentially, one of the things to think about, I've been having this conversation with a bunch of pastors lately. There's a difference between a pastor and a prophet, man. A prophet comes in, just drops truth bombs and says, good luck with that. Mm. It's not the job of the pastor. The pastor is to start wherever his flock is, and you're trying to move this flock from here to the green pastures that Jesus calls you to move to. So you got to start where people are. So, so Charles mentions that, that you're talking to people with health and wounds, right? Mm. Whenever there's a disproportionate amount of emotion, it's almost always because you hit a wound. Mm. Like you're dressed nice, and your knees cover there, and your two knees look the exact same to me from here. But if you had an open wound on this knee, and I patted the good knee, no problem, right? You would respond like a normal person. You would just be like, mm-hmm. no problem. But if I patted this wound over here, just because you know mm-hmm. your pants covered up and I couldn't see it, there would be a disproportionate amount of emotion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I get criticism, I mean, man, name the thing. I had somebody like, we're leaving the church because I made a joke that we have two kinds of travel in our house. You know, we've got uh, 
like Presbyterian travel, and that's when the elect go, and it's very orderly. And then we've got charismatic <laughs> travel, and that's you said that joke, no? Yeah, right. But they were offended. This is like I cannot believe you do this, and I just there's a wound there. Something's going on in that family. Like there's something going on, and so one of the questions are somebody emailed me recently about. Uh, me picking on Catholics. I was like, I pick on everybody, but they got offended by the Catholic thing, you know, and and gave me all these reasons, um, which none of them had to do with theology and the gospel, though. So I just, I'm like, are you okay? Mm. What happened? What's going on? Something, because there were tens of thousands of people here this weekend, and, and, and you know, everybody laughs it off, but when you, if something hits you, if it hits in that wound, the key as a pastor is not to avoid that. I mean, what I'm called to do is when there's a disproportionate amount of emotion, is I stick the paddle right in the middle of that white water and stir it and go, what are we doing here? What's happening right here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you were counseling me recently. I was sharing with you a situation I was going through with a friend, um, and... I said, it just seems like this person has overreacted to something that didn't seem like a big deal to me. And you said, well, because that's not the thing. There's something else going on. You need to ask them, are are they okay? And it turned out they really weren't. There were tons of other factors at play. So it is a good mindset to have to not immediately, like our gut reaction is to bow up, but really it's like, actually, no, they need care because actually something else is going on. Yeah, so like back to the text, okay? I know we haven't got to it yet. Yeah. Mary's going to anoint the feet of Jesus, and right. Judas is like, she's not doing it right. Right. And brings up what would be a valid point. Couldn't we have used this on the poor? And if if you could step into this moment, obviously Jesus knows everything that's going on. There's so much deeper going on in the yeah. heart of Judas right there. I mean, you want to talk about a tormented man. Yeah. He is probably looking with a great jealousy. Why do you get to worship so freely and I am so bound up? Well, he's going to be inhabited by the spirit of Satan. Mm -hmm. He knows that he's subverting the kingdom of God. I mean, he's all bound up and not free to just worship. Look, man, free people in Christ are rarely judgmental about how other people's, like what they're doing and because they're free from that. Mm. That you're not trying to control everybody else's behavior. Yeah, you know, I was I was with a bunch of pastors this week, and um, and and we were talking about how hard it is to like pastor a church and pastor your family. Mm. And my friend JD Greer says, "Listen, man, when you're with your kids, especially teenage kids, you can either be pastor or dad. You can't be both." Wow. And they got plenty of pastors. They got one dad to so be the dad. Then my other friend Ryan Kwan says, "You know what?" He's like, I grow succulents in Southern California, <laughs> to which I thought was f- funny. But that's what he does. <clears throat> and he says, they're super resilient. They'll grow in almost any soil. It's really hard to kill them. But the number one way that you kill them is by overwatering them. Wow. Because you look at it and be like, it's not happening. It's not happening. More water, more water, more. And then you drown them. And he's like, and the last thing you want to do, like when you plant the seed, you got to plant the seed, cover it up, and then trust God to do what he does. If it's not happening and you dig the seed back out, then you know it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. That's good. So we have this group of people who they are concerned with that. They're concerned with control, power, prestige, position, position, and um, they are critical of Jesus and what he's doing. So that's kind of the backdrop of how this event of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, that's the backdrop to this event. So let's get to Simon the leper's house, which is where this story takes place. And um, I'm going to say characters and cast, but we know that this is a historical event that actually happened. But can you talk about who the characters are here at this dinner party and why it matters so much and what it tells us about God and his character that the, the people at this party, who they are and what they bring? Like everybody's there. This is what I love. Everybody's there. So Simon the leper, which, you know, I wish we would call him the former leper yeah. or the healed one or whatever. All right, he's there. You got type A driven Martha. I can imagine she's walking around. She's making sure everybody's got something. She's like, hey, Mary, can you help me? She's like, no, I got something else to do. <laughs> hey, Lazarus, can you help me? And he's like, hey, I was dead yesterday. Can you just give me a break? Can I just chill with my Savior here? You, you, you got religious people that are critical, it's a, like, 
Jesus invited everybody to the party. Even those he knew were going to try to spoil the party. It's incredible. I love it. And this was Simon's, probably his first time. He probably he wasn't allowed to have people to his house, right? Because he was a former leper. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is, this is not a lot of speculation. Okay. He couldn't, if anybody, nobody could come to his house. I think, I'm going to go so far as to say, I bet of all the things he's doing, he's serving the food. Because he's never been able to touch other yeah. people's food before. Because just the fact that he, if he carried the tray, then it would all be unclean. And the picture I get in my mind is that this is what church ought to be. Mm. Every weekend when we get together, it is the gratitude party at Simon the Leper's house. That's right. Because we live in a world that wants to identify you by this label. Thank God, God doesn't identify you by the labels, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, and amen. Charles, I know you and Christy love to host people for dinner and have people to your house. What is the significance? We see it in the Bible and... Something special happens when you break bread with people around a table. What is the significance of this being a dinner party? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Other than the bread of life is breaking bread with, you know, with his peoples. And he's, um, he's very shortly to go to the cross. So he, he knows, maybe for Jesus, it's like, one of the last sweet times he's with everybody. Mm. I also think everybody outside the door, all everybody that watched him raise Lazarus, they are, they really are, you said this just a minute ago, they really think Jesus has come to take on Rome. They think that's the king that they have. Mm-hmm. They just don't understand the kingdom that he's ushering in. So, I mean, every time we see, I tend to think one of the first times we see pre-incarnate Jesus is Melchizedek around Genesis 12 or 14 or wherever it, wherever it is, which with Abram meets him in the valley after rescuing Lot, defeating the five kings. He meets Melchizedek and Melchizedek brings out bread and wine. And it is there that Abram says, I have raised my hand to God most high. So there's, a, there's, the, there's the beginning of this worship, this um bread making or bread sharing covenant making thing going on. I don't know. The Lord, who knows everything that he was doing in this moment, but probably for him, it was a sweet soon to be last gathering with everybody. He's probably uh, enjoying, he's probably laughing a lot, watching Mm -hmm. Lazarus interact with everybody. I would imagine his heart hurts simultaneously because he's looking at Judas and he Mm -hmm. knows and then he's probably staring across at all of his friends and he knows the future that awaits him. He knows where they're going to go. He knows where and when they're going to die and why and how and what words they'll speak. You know, Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Which part of him is breaking bread and which part of him is looking out in the future or whatever? I have no idea. I can't comprehend that. But there's probably a whole lot going on at that dinner table. I do think Judas is tormented far more than we probably mm-hmm. can fathom. Um, and then Mary does this thing, inexplicably, costly, worship poured out on the feet of Jesus and only Jesus gets it. Mm. And he lets her. And I would imagine not only did the fragrance fill the room, but people will walk by and they're like, what is going on in there? And in there, the king is being prepared for his burial. Mm. Oh, tell us more about that. It's good. <laughs> well, that's what he says. Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Well, mm-hmm. nobody has time to prepare the body of Jesus. She's doing it. That's yeah. what's going on right there. So, I mean, why do why do Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go take him down so quickly? Well, because the Sabbath is soon to set, and they hastily prepare the body. Nobody has time to put 120 pounds of herbs and clothes, all the stuff. And I don't understand all that preparation, but there's a whole lot that goes into preparing a body. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit moves in Mary and she does this thing. Does she know she's doing this for his burial? I don't know. I don't know what she knew and didn't know. I just know she's pouring out worship on the feet of Jesus. Oh, I've never read that. I think um, your question about the meal, I think it's a. um, it illustrates something it's so vital to understanding what it means to to be a believer that 
If you see Jesus as merely practical and not beautiful and glorious, then you're missing it. I mean, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So think about a meal. It's not merely nutritionally practical, right? Mm -hmm. You don't invite people over and be like, here's the protein, here's the carbs. You know what I mean? And so God has taken this thing that we need, like we need Jesus, right? You need Jesus or you don't go to heaven. But he's not just practical to save you from heaven. He is glorious and beautiful. And that's what a good meal is. I mean, it's extravagant, right? It's You go for all kinds of different tastes. Mm. You spend it with people that you love. I mean, you ever eaten a good meal by yourself? It's the weirdest. I mean, I travel a ton, you know, and... I, I rarely ever travel alone, but there's this rare occasion where, like, one plane's going this way, or you know, and I'll, you'll be sitting at some airport. I was in New York. I was coming back from this pastor's thing, and um, there's, like, a Palm Steakhouse there, and I didn't want to eat, like, Taco Bell. So I'm eating this really nice ribeye. I got a New York strip because I was in New York, and it seemed Obviously. apropos. And so <laughs> I just remember thinking, like, this is how this is terrible. <laughs> How terrible is this? You're not supposed to do this by yourself. Even the steak's delicious. Mm. But there's there's something to it, man. We have taken For we have sure. taken the most basic thing, which is if you don't eat, you die. And we have turned it into this celebration of life and relationship yeah. and all of this. Okay. The most basic thing is your relationship with Jesus. But it's not just the like Admit you're a sinner, believe you died on the cross for you, confess your that he's your Lord. It's not just the ABCs. It is it is all of your life is lived in him. And when we see him as glorious, then we can taste and see that he's good. Mm. And so she does this extravagant thing. Like, man, when it comes to your worship, don't be a minimalist, man. Like, don't don't be like, well, you know what? We can just skip the first two songs and get there during the third song, and we can still probably find a seat and and still make the the talk and then leave during the last song because that part doesn't matter. What? You're completely missing what it looks like to live a life of gratitude. Mm. Well, look where, too, look where she starts with it. She breaks the the very costly oil of spikenard, broke the flask, and where does she pour it? On his head. She, I don't know if you've ever, like, been anointed with oil in that fashion. I have. But it goes all over you. Mm-hmm. It, it it's you know it reminds it's like the scripture of oil running down the beard of Aaron. It's going everywhere, like shoulders, torso, legs. It's all over the place. So she doesn't just walk up and daintily paint his feet. Right. She pours it over the head of Jesus. So and then it says, and, and the other, everyone else in the room is indignant. Well, at least half of them were. I mean, think about there is an alternate response. You don't have to be indignant at the worship of Jesus. You can fall flat on your face and raise your hands and join in. Yeah. And that's what she was doing. This was, this was not a, like a limited little anointing. She right. literally pours something that's worth months of wages over his head. I mean, she has to stop what's going on. Jesus has to allow her. Mm. She doesn't just come up and just wash him like with perfume. <laughs> She pours it. There's a like an actual pouring out over the body of Jesus. I remember one time I was. This was early in my learning to be more expressive in worship kind of days. Gretchen and I, we were either. I guess we probably just gotten married, and we were at this youth specialties conference. And uh, I can't remember. Somebody awesome was on stage playing, and there's a there's a person like very charismatic laying in the floor, kind of sizzling my bacon over here, you know? And I'm like, holy goodness. And I, I'm total critical heart, total. Like, look at this freak. What are they doing? All in my mind. And then, you know, it's always better if you if you have a critical heart to get somebody to join with you so you don't feel... So I lean over to Gretchen to make fun of this person. And as I lean over, she's just crying. She's She's got her eyes closed and tears are running. And I was like... Oh, crap. I'm the idiot here. Mm, wow. Like these two people, my wife and Rando guy, are overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord in this moment. And I think I'm really mm. better than that guy laying on the floor and was just Good. slayed, man. Like, what are you doing? So 
I want to talk about the response because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they all respond to Jesus in different ways. And as you write about in the book, they're all appropriate right responses and all necessary in all of our lives now today. And so can we just talk about the three different ways that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus respond to Jesus? Yeah, so Lazarus abides. Uh, He's reclined with Jesus at the table. That's very important in the life of the believer. Uh, I think I think kind of the modern day equivalent would be you love to get up early in the morning, get a big cup of coffee, get a big old Bible, and just lean into His Word, and mm-hmm. and He leans into you. For me, this is the woods, or sit in my back porch watching the birds with my Bible and some worship music. Okay, cool, very important. And then Martha, she serves, and some people are wired that way. They don't really sit; they serve. They're like. I got to do stuff, which is cool. We've been called to serve the body of Christ. And then Mary pours out her life in worship. Now, where I want to push people is you were probably predisposed by God knitting you together towards one of those reactions. Mm -hmm. If you don't have all three, something is missing, man. Mm -hmm. It's like a stool. And if you don't have all three of those legs, it's going to fall over. Um, And so... And then I would highly encourage you to push yourself in what whatever area is comes least natural to you. Mm. It's, this is terrible, but for me, it's serving. Like I'm a man. Let me just study God's word all day, and let me sing worship songs with my hands up. But when it's time to serve the meal, I I'm like I do not have the gift of helps. <laughs> <laughs> but we've all been called. I mean, Jesus uh, in John 13. At the Last Supper, he's going to get up, dress himself as a servant, wash his disciples' feet, and say, I have set you as an example, and you'll be blessed if you do likewise. Now, I can crush it on a mission trip because I like sign up for it, and I know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> but as just a, a a posture of worship to the Lord. Okay, maybe you're a serves person, but you showed up to church, you don't ever pull your hands out of your pocket. I'm telling you, I don't care how you're wired, something's wrong. You're not doing it right. The Bible says, lift your hands in the sanctuary. You know, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing loudly mm. to the Lord. Okay. Mm. Or if you're the kind of person that gets all into worship songs all the time, but you don't ever study your Bible, something's off. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like, I mean, God, he, it's almost like he gives us a well-balanced diet of what a healthy nutrition of response to the Lord is right here. Mm. And you need all three. Yeah, and I've experienced in my own life that the real beauty that God really will change your heart over time. Like I was never, I always wanted to be a journaler. I had like 50 journals with just the first page filled out. And I, in my early 20s, I committed that for 60 days, I was going to wake up early, write and read my Bible and write in my journal. And what I noticed at the end of the 60 days was it was no longer a task that I was committed to. It was like breath in my lungs. It was like, I now feel like I need this and this is a part of my walk with the Lord. And that was so different than from when I started. And it wasn't because it came naturally. It was something that had to be disciplined. And so I just love that God also will change our desires for how we respond. Because I mean, what a prayer he loves to answer. Lord, would you help me be more expressive in worship? Right. And oftentimes, if you look, I mean, God is a tactile God. And oftentimes, the posture of the body goes first, and then the posture of the mm. heart and soul follow. That's good. I think this is why we we bow our heads to pray, we close our eyes to do things, we kneel before God, we lift up our hands. Mm. Even when you don't necessarily feel like it, sometimes the body goes first, and it shows the rest of the your being the appropriate posture to the Lord. Yeah. Charles, what about you? What of those areas comes naturally to you and then what maybe doesn't come as natural? I think it's easier for me to abide and worship than it is to serve. I think I'm like Joby. I don't think service is not my go-to. That's it's, comical to hear him say that. I know. <laughs> he I mean, it just is. so much. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't see me that way. I know. Wow. I just don't. I, it's easier for me to abide and worship. Mm. Um, also, uh, with regards to worship in the, like I grew up, you know, like it's, you know, we've talked about, it. I grew up in a wildly charismatic world 
and I'm seeing it taken to charismania. Mm. But years ago, I looked at, or at least I tried as best I best I could, to look at worship in Scripture and what it, how it talks about. And one of the things that struck me is as I looked, and it was Derek Prince that I heard do this, and so I said, "Well, okay, let me see if this I can find this to be true." He started looking at worship and. I can't find any place in scripture that talks about worship or commands us to worship that does not also incorporate some action of the body. There is, at least in my Bible, every place I can find find the command to worship, there is either before or after some accompanying movement of the body. So it's... You know, and I've said to the guys in my Bible study and anybody that's ever come and, and I've, I've, in my in my speaking with guys or speaking to guys, because we are the, tend to be the worst. We'll go nuts at a football game. We'll jump around like idiots, hands waving every which way. But when it comes to humbling ourselves before God most high, the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts, we tend to stand there with our hands in our pockets and and we don't we don't want to humble us. So I've, I've, I've challenged them. I'm like, guys, really, trust me, when you get there and you're in front of him, you're going to be all three on your mm-hmm. face, hands raised, all that. Mm-hmm. You might as well get used to it here. So yeah. let's practice. <laughs> and um, I don't know. It's a, I can't find any place not accompanied by an action of the body. Really I would, I would love to be better at it, but at least that is my heart's desire. It's good. So you have this quote in the book, and it's long, so bear with me, but it's so good. It says, Mary at some point breaks the vessel, and then the smell of nard permeates throughout the entire place. It's invisible, but everyone senses it. And people were like, "Uh uh-oh, what happened? Something's different in here. Because you see, when believers in Jesus Christ pour out their worship on the feet of Jesus, it changes the atmosphere. And I just love this visual and this idea that She's responding to who Jesus is, not necessarily what he's done. Yes, he's raised Lazarus from the grave, but she's in this dinner party. And I almost imagine her just seeing Jesus being so overwhelmed by his presence that she just runs and gets this vessel and and just pours it out based on who he is. And why is it so important, this distinction, that we respond to God because of who he is, not just what he's done? So the Psalms say that God inhabits the praises of his people. I mean, think about that. When believers get together and make much of Jesus, he, now he's omnipresent always, but there is a manifest present that is different, that is almost tangible, that is for sure sensible. I don't, I don't mean like it makes sense. I mean, it is able to mm-hmm. be sensed by his people when his people worship him. Listen, man, during COVID and all this, and, and, and I obviously talk to a bunch of preachers and hear a bunch of preachers talking, I hear all these people like diminish the weekend gathering, mm. you know? They'll be like, the church isn't just a bunch of people sitting in rows and singing a couple songs and listening to a talk. And I go, well, if that's what you think is happening at your place, no wonder nothing's ever happening at your mm. place, man. Wow. I'm telling you, when the saints of 1122 get together that's and right. make much of Jesus— Man, miracles happen. Are you right. kidding me? People get saved and marriages get restored and right. chains of addiction follow. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? No wonder the Spirit doesn't show up. You don't haven't even invited him in, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. You're just trying to sing three songs and do your little TED Talk? Bro, I, re- I challenge a bunch of guys, don't, you, don't ever diminish what the Bible doesn't diminish. He says, let us never give up on gathering together. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and breaking bread together and opening God's word. Man, the spirit of God shows up in that. And I'm telling you what we need. We don't need another sermon. We don't need another song. We need to encounter the living God. But let me tell you how you encounter the living God. When the people of God get together and listen to sermons and sing songs. Those things are a means to the end. The end is him. But it changes everything. You, we've all we've all been to it, right? You, Whether it's a conference or it's a whatever it is. I mean, think about it. We're sitting on the southern steps in Israel. Mm-hmm. And we start singing a song, and the nation's yeah. gathered, man. That's right. People from That's not so just good. our church, but people from all different color people, all different accents, right. people from all around the world just begin to walk up on our group and sing the same worship song we're singing. And something shifted. 
For sure. It shifted right there, man. That's right. I'm telling you, that. how do you explain that? What is that? It changes the atmosphere. I think that's so important in the cultural moment we are living in, too, where content creation is like this king right now and everything is resources and what platforms are we doing things on and social media and how are you everywhere all the time and all those things are good and resources are important podcasts are important all these things but yeah may we never lose sight of the power of gathering together with our brothers and sisters and making much of his name so i preach three services a weekend it's 40 something times a year and i'm i sit i'm in all of them I, I don't sit back in my office waiting for my turn. Mm. And sometimes, man, one of my, partly the reason I pick the seat that I get to sit in is because I want to be able to like, out of one eye, look back over our church and just, just watch the gnar be broken open. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes, <laughs> you know, we sing that song Gratitude a lot right now and he's mm-hmm. like, come on my soul. Yeah. Don't you get shy on me. Mm-hmm. Lift up your hands. And our whole place, because I, 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 I want sure. to commend our folks. Last year was the year of worship. The needle moved right. in regards to the responsiveness of our folks. And it was already pretty good. Yeah. And I think God has honored it. And I, I'm encouraged. You see, one of the things, one of the reasons worship matters so much is because sometimes you can barely drag yourself in there. I mean, we won't get into the details, but you just told a story about a really sweet person in our church that is going through her worst nightmare, and you were driving the golf cart to help people get in because you're a servant. Good job. And she recognizes your voice. Okay. The details of her life that you shared with us before we started recording, I mean, you can only imagine. She 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 must have barely dragged herself to get to church, sure. but she knew I needed to get here. Not to just check the box, man but to encounter the living God. And sometimes, like, when when you don't have it in you, but your brothers and sisters around you, they're pouring it out, it gets on you too. That's right. You know? That's right. And the, the woman you're referring to, and she listens to the Deepin Podcast, so I hope she's listening now, but I was so encouraged by her. A, she came with two friends. You know, we just talked about, do you have these friends in your life yeah. who hold you up when your world's absolutely falling apart? And where was she? You hadn't said amen, and she is at the altar for probably 20 minutes, yeah. and no one's saying anything. They're all just crying together, as, but they're kneeling, and you just can't help but be stirred of like, this is why we gather, because yeah, like you're saying, that she knew she needed to be one place, and that was at the altar crying out to God. It just changed Yeah, things. and I feel her. I mean, yeah. in some of my, you know, most hurtful, desperate times. Yeah. That's where my mind immediately went to. It's like, I got. I'll, I just want to be with our people, yep. sing the songs, hear the sermon, say the prayers, get to the altar. Yeah. Be in that, in the presence of our people, making much of him. And I know I get emotional, man. I get emotional. And some people are like, why do you get so emotional? <laughs> well, first of all, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So if you don't have a big, fat, bleeding heart for Jesus, you ain't doing it right. right. I mean, can you imagine if I talked about my relationship with Gretchen in only a practical way. So tell me about your wife. Well, she's five foot this and a hundred, <laughs> yeah. none of your business. And, and you know, I met her and I thought it would propagate the species well. And <laughs> she could, you know what I mean? You'd be like, what? You're not buying a used car, bro. Like that, how miserable right. would that be? That's how some people talk about their I don't even know if you can use the word relationship with Jesus, right. but they, they talk about their f- faith system. Very formal, yeah. As just like a a set of truth claims. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so, it's not less than true. It's more than true. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful and overwhelming and, oh, he loves us. Yeah, it's so good. It should elicit a response. Yeah. We've talked. We've sort of circled this idea of worship and why it matters so much. And I think if if you unpack the eternal struggle from Lucifer's fall mm-hmm. to to this day, this moment, the second time in which we're talking, what Lucifer wanted, and it says this five times in Ezekiel twenty eight. Maybe I could be wrong, but somewhere around Ezekiel twenty eight, God just finishes talking 
about Lucifer and who he is and how he was the, the anointed cherub. And he walked among the fiery stones. He had presence to the very access and presence of God. And he's the bright morning star. He's responsible for ushering in the day and announcing the sun. I, I tend to think, and I can't prove this, but I think Lucifer was in charge of worship in the heavenlies. Mm. And so he would bring worship because in, his, in the description of him, everything that's described is his pipes and his timbrels and the ability with which he makes a noise. And I think he was in charge of worship. I think he was in charge of worshiping the son. And I think what happened is he saw all of the glory given by the father through the spirit to the son and he became jealous. And he, so the thing that he wanted was worship. That's what it says five times. I will, I will, I will, I will reach up. I will do all, I will ascend. I will do all of these things. Why? Because he wanted worship. So if there's one thing in the, in the spiritual battle of the life in which we find ourselves, if there's one thing that we can put our fingers on and go, yep, that's absolutely happening right now, is that the enemy, the prince of darkness, who has his own kingdom, out of which we have been transferred, he wants worship, mm. period. So if there's something in you, if there's a struggle in you when you get to the service on Sundays or whatever, and you're just like, man, I don't feel like raising my dadgum hands. <laughs> I get it. I totally do. Yeah. And there's a battle in the heavenlies. One of the coolest places I ever saw this happen. And I, I see it happen weekly in our service. And I'm partial to our church. And I, I love our people, Austin and Lindsay and Michael and Walt. I love it when Walt, Walt doesn't even sing. He just gets up there with his guitar and dances. And yeah. his worship to me is beautiful. Amen. But So I see it weekly here and I experience it. But the boys and I and Christy were at a passion conference years ago, and I know a bunch of us have been to them. And so we happened to be up in a box because we were invited by these folks to sit up in the box. And I didn't like it as much. I like being down amongst the kids because I, I you know, it's just more fun. But I could see 35 something thousand kids. And so we'd been there like three days and had some of the best worship bands on the planet come through. And man, okay, it, it was awesome. We had all of them, all the, all the, all the, you know, the smoke shows and the lights and the dancing and the craziness. And yes, we loved absolutely every bit of it. And, but John T is our musical kid. He's the worshiper and he's, and man, and I just kept watching him. And something about what we were watching did not resonate with the psalmist heart in my son. He's wanting to worship. And I'll, I'll, as long as I live, I'll never forget it the last band walks off and there's a single spotlight on the steps and Matt Redman walks in wearing a sport coat and carrying a guitar. And the, and, and he, that was it. That was all that he had. And I mean, of course we all grew up listening to nothing but the blood and all of that. Okay. And the heart of worship, all of these, this dude walks out on the stage and the, the atmosphere in the room changed the moment he opened his mouth because he was not performing. He was worshiping. And the thing that happened in the room, I'll never forget because kids went from dancing to on their faces and on their knees. And I look over at John T and he's got his hands in the air. And so something, and again, granted, who knows what happened with the other awesome folks who came before and the soil that they tilled and all of the, and I'm not diminishing anyone else. I'm, it's not a comparison thing. All I'm saying is that Joker had an anointing for worship and that was his heart. And we got to see it happen. Uh, also, as a dad, one of the coolest things, I've said this to Christy, I'm like, when I see it, I'm like, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. The Lord can take me. But if I'm in church and I look and there are my boys and there's Christy and I look down the row and all three of my boys who are all taller than me, all three of them have their hands in the air. Oh. I'm, okay. Yes, that was the dream. I'm ready, Lord. So when <clears throat> Ezekiel is, is describing Lucifer, it's interesting, man, the, the commentators, you can't tell if, if they're describing what he's wearing or who he is. Mm. It's purposefully vague in the Hebrew because it's like, is he made of gemstones or is he dressed in gemstones? It's hard to tell, you know what I mean? And then, because what, what's supposed to happen is that he's, he's supposed to reflect the light mm -hmm. and the and the angelic beings and the angel armies are to look through him to the glory of the light of God. And in looking through him, as he is reflecting the light of God, 
at some point, mm. he wants people to look to him and not through him. Yeah, wow. Pride enters, and he's cast out like lightning, and he hits the ground of hell hard. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. If you get, Keep those lenses on and then read John 12 again. Mm-hmm. And there's one girl... And she's like, I don't care what you think of me, man. All I want you can look through me and see him. And then there's another group, and they're like, you're not doing it right. I want you to look to me. Yeah. Well, two thousand years later. So when I say when I say worship is war, that's what we're talking about. There are competing worship battles going on Mm. in like in your in your own cell, in your own soul, in the room, in the heavenlies. That's it, man. That's good. Yeah. So. With the journey of Judas over time, you talk about how he moves from, at some point, he goes from worshiper to consumer, and this can happen to us too, and it could be slowly. It's not necessarily overnight. I mean, we don't, I don't know that we know with Lucifer, but maybe it was just over time, he's starting to feel like, wait, I want to be looked Mm -hmm. at until it fully breaks. And so what are some indicators for people to just be aware of that what that they could be drifting from worshiper to consumer. Here's some. Um, when you find yourself going, I don't really like that song. Like, mm. okay, we, we weren't singing <laughs> to you. So what are we talking about here? All right. Um, there's a big difference when you show up to church thinking, I hope my kids like it versus I hope this is the kind of church that equips me to disciple my kids. Mm. Fundamentally different things. Um, when you think the service is the thing that happens here versus you're getting filled up to go do the service Mm. to your neighbors. Um, When you're looking for an entertaining sermon versus a gospel-centered, Christ-saturated sermon, those kinds of things. I'm telling you, we, we turn into like, you know, America's Got Talent, and we think we're Simon Cowell, and we're sitting behind the judge's table evaluating. Yeah. Versus, like, Lord, how about you evaluate me mm-hmm. instead of me evaluate the service, the, me evaluate the show? Yeah, it's good. Okay, so before we get to the last thing I want to talk about, which is what you talk about at the end of this chapter, this particular chapter is not necessarily a miracle, but why was it fit to be a part of this book? So we spent a whole chapter on what do you do when it doesn't go your way, mm-hmm. you know? Thought it was very appropriate to spend a whole chapter on how extravagant gratitude ought to be oozing out of you because mm-hmm. of the miraculous work of God in your life. Now, <clears throat> it's coming off the heels of a miracle with Lazarus, and there is the implicit miracle that they're at Simon the leper's house, who's not a leper anymore, mm-hmm. so there's a miracle. But, you know, oftentimes we've talked about, we think the evangelical church needs a gospel-saturated book about miracles because the point is not the miracle. The point is the maker of miracles. And so I wanted to spend some time on what is your response? Like if you were a saved person, the greatest and, and only eternal miracle in your life, shouldn't your life look like the gratitude party at Simon's That's house? Right. Yeah, for sure. So we've had this, just wonderful, edifying, mushy conversation about worship. And we get all teary and we all want to go now, I think, in the worship center and worship. But then you end this chapter in a surprising way. And we've hinted at it through many episodes. And we've talked about what happened to your friend and part of our church family, Brad. Um, But you choose to end this chapter after this whole Thing on gratitude and worship, and then you end it with the tragic loss of your best friend. And so I want to close this episode on just talking about Brad and um because we've mentioned him, but I want to really talk about him and and then why this chapter? Why was this the one where you decided to put his story in? All right, let me before you speak, can I because I'm, I'm gonna answer that as the writer. Okay, and then great. and then and then let you yeah. literally. I'm working on this chapter. He and I have met. I'm working on this chapter. He's gone to Scotland. I get a text from one of our dear friends telling me what had happened the night before. And I, I, 
couple of things were, well, there were a lot of things flying through my head in that moment, but I stalled on working on the chapter because I'm like, holy smoke, I just quit working on it. Mm. Then we, then you can fill in the story with what, what happened to you. And then, but then he gets home and we're, you know, he's working through grieving. He's sort of, and I'm trying to figure out how to f- us finish writing or keep writing and what's, how much do I, mm. how much do I poke at him? Things are pretty raw. And I'm not poking at him in a, a, a harsh way. I'm just right. like, I, I, we got to navigate this. And it, it, as, as I'm looking at the words on the page, I'm like, let's don't run from it. The Lord allowed it. I'm working on what I'm working on. He's, we're working on this. We're, we are where we are. Let's just tell the truth of what happened. Because one, number one, the book is not theory. That's right. We're not just telling you, yeah. he's not just telling you what he thinks. And I'm certainly not writing him telling you what he thinks because I wouldn't write that. I, I wouldn't be the writer for that book. He can find somebody else. But we were dealing with something very true and very hard. And I said, well, let's just tell the truth. It's also a beautiful testimony to the life and ministry of Brad Bowen. So is that fair? Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah, you find out what you really believe about the sovereignty of God and about your response to him. And honestly, man, I mean, I, I was so sad and cry, I've cried so many times over this thing and, and never got mad at the Lord. It wasn't that. But my instinct was I just wanted to get to our church and worship, you know, mm-hmm. and just worship, just sing the songs and and then one time, and then shortly after that too, in November, so that had happened October thirteenth, and then shortly after this, Charles and I go on a a bow hunting trip together to Nebraska, and we, and it happened to be over a Sunday, and I was like, dude, I go to church on Sundays, you know. And there was really nowhere to go, uh, and we were hunting, and so I just took my phone and put together a little playlist, just like we do here, three songs. And then um, I just queued up an old sermon um, and then a closing song and just stood in my tree stand and I stood up when we sang Mm -hmm. and lifted my hands in the tree and I probably scared off every deer that I don't care and listened (laughs) to the sermon and then responded, man, you know. And, man, worship is, it's a supernatural event. I don't know how to explain it. It's a supernatural event. It's the... The church fathers would call it the thin place, that there are thin places in our existence where like when Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven, there's places where there's big gaps between those two and then there's little thin Mm -hmm. gaps, man. Worship is one of those thin places. And so part of what I wanted people to see is that regardless of your situation, the appropriate response is to make much of him. So good. I miss what Job says, you know. Though you slay me, I will worship you. God is so incredible how he orchestrates the hard things at the right time. Because as I read this chapter and you get to the end and you right before you tell Brad's story, you talk to the people who have just read this and think, well, that sounds really nice. Yeah, he saved her brother. He brought his, her brother back yeah. from the dead. Of course she's going to pour this oil all over his body. Of course she's going to respond like that, but you don't know my situation. And then just what you're saying, like then you just speak from this place of truth of that really no matter what happens, tragedy or victory, mm-hmm. we still are called to the same response. And it's just, it's so beautiful. And I think it's going to encourage tons of people. You know, and even in that, um, my <clears throat> my son JP and Brad were really close and we were talking about it. I don't know, it was probably a, a month or something after. Oh, I think I was getting ready to do his funeral, and uh, his mom wanted to do his funeral on November 22nd, and so we were getting ready for that. And so and I was talking to JP about it, and he's like, Dad, I know this sucks. And, dude, you know, JP, had, he was about to turn 17. So, And it's not like just theological wisdom oozes out of him at the kitchen table every night, all right? I think people have some... Misunderstandings of what my family's like. He's just a normal, great kid. Yeah. And he's like, but do you know what, Dad? 
of all the times this could happen, there couldn't be a better time, at least for you. And I was like, what? And he's, he said, you've got eight of your friends coming in to preach all of these weeks because I was on sabbatical. Yeah. And he's like, so you don't have to work on sermons all week. You can just deal with it, you know? And it's really true, right? Yeah. I mean, it's really true. Yeah. Well, this has been such an encouraging conversation, and I know it's going to just stir a bunch of people's affections for the Lord, and I hope people are hear this and are clearing their calendar for either Thursday or Sunday to get to be with God's people and to worship Him. And how about a little challenge? How about bust out your gratitude list before you come to church either yes. Thursday or Sunday? And in the parking lot or in the car, or at some point, orient yourself to, I'm about to walk into this thing with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. And it's also cool, over 14 campuses from Jessup to Columbia County. And we're going to sing the same songs to the same God at the same time and just be grateful. Yeah. Amen. Charles, will you pray for us? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us and your time in this. And I, and I pray that all that we've said brings you honor and glory. And I, and I pray that it brings you praise. Lord, where there's anything in us that resists worshiping you with our whole heart, would you please crucify that thing in us? If there's any part of us that wants any part of your glory, would you please put that part of us to death? And would you please set us free in our heart, mind, soul, and spirit? to worship you with our whole self, whatever that looks like. And we thank you, Father, that you do inhabit the praises of your people. We love you. We worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it. <laughs>